Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and our guest today is Dr. Sarah Wolf. I met Sarah through the Uncharted Veterinary Conference, like so many amazing people that I know, and she's here to do a little bit of communication troubleshooting with us, because as we all know, a lot of days the medicine is the easy part. <laughs> so, um, so Sarah, welcome to Central Line. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I am uh, very excited to do this with you. I always like talking to you and getting to do it officially feels very yeah. nice. Yeah, I love this. And you had a great idea, which was to kind of take some really, um, unfortunately, <laughs> common scenarios and um, and go through them uh, and talk about like, you know, what you would recommend that we do in the clinic um, and sort of give, a, give everyone a chance to think about that ahead of time. Um, rather than when you're deer in the headlights, the client is looking at you and perhaps isn't super happy. So um, very, very good idea and super useful. So before we get into that though, would you just let everyone know a little bit about you and what you do? Yes, so I am Sarah Wolf. I'm a veterinarian and I've been working in the veterinary industry for 22 years now, which uh, dates me a little bit. I've been a vet for 12 of those years and I spent 10 years before I graduated working in support roles in vet practices. So I am a little bit obsessed with just how important the CSRs, the assistants, the managers, uh, the technicians especially <laughs> are to our success as a team. And yeah. in particular, I've always been a super nerd and super excited about what makes our clients love coming to see us. And I think that's because what I've always enjoyed the most about veterinary medicine, as much as I love dogs and cats, I love the phenomenal reciprocal relationship and emotional exchange that you get to have with the clients who come in. And day after day, I find that's what fills my cup even more than puppy kisses and, and kitty cuddles and all the real parts of it, right? And so for me, I really like to focus with practices, helping them create really fantastic client experiences that also fill the cups of the teams that they're working with and figuring out what systems need to be in place so that that is repeatable and sustainable in a way that everyone enjoys. Love that. Um, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about that quote and I can't remember um, who it's attributed to, but it's something like, if you can't find joy in the snow, you'll have the same amount of snow, but a lot less joy. And I think about client communication like that, like maybe you automatically love it and maybe it's not your thing, but um, either way, you're going to have to do it. So you might as well try to figure out how to get the most out of it and do it well <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to the benefit and of everyone. Yeah. And when I talk to teams, we talk a lot about why do you do veterinary medicine? You know, as we all know, one of the best parts of this field is that anybody who succeeds in it, be they a phenomenal assistant, a kennel manager, a technician, a receptionist, there's somebody who is really smart, really good at problem solving, really hardworking, super high integrity. You know, it's mm -hmm. a pretty rock star list of qualities and yet they choose to stay in an industry that probably pays them less, has tougher hours and harder shifts than other industries that they could easily work in and succeed in. And it comes back to a lot of times the animals. You know, we don't always choose to be in this field for the people, but yeah. as my husband and I say, the peopling is a big part of the job, you know? So yeah. 
when you have to do the peopling, whether or not that innately brings you joy, the easier you can make it and the more likely you can make it to result in a positive outcome, the better the rest of your job becomes. That makes so much sense. And it makes you dread it less if you have some tools in your toolbox to do it. It's like, I, you know, I'm not a natural surgeon, but if I know what I'm doing in a procedure, I'm a lot more likely to be comfortable with it. Whereas if I'm going in feeling like I'm not really sure what to expect, then it's a lot scarier. And I'm, I'm also probably not going to enjoy it. Um, and I think communication, we don't treat it that way. We think, oh, well, we'll, we'll just get through it. But going in and knowing like there are certain scenarios you can predict are probably going to come up pretty much every day. And we're going to be talking about some of those today. So Excellent. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. All right. Let's just get into it then. Okay. Um, so uh, first scenario, let's picture um, a client calls and they're like, hey, you know, my, my dog is overdue for vaccines and I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks and we really need to get them up to date. Um, I got to get them in. And nothing on your schedule works for that client. Very familiar. Yes. The classic uh, <laughs> failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part, right? Yes. Yeah. And I said the, a couple weeks, and that's being generous, because usually it's like three days from now. <laughs> the emergency Bordetella. And yes. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, in those situations, well, and before I even get into that, the reason I'm interested in this and how you handle these situations is because I am naturally the worst at it. Like, I am Same. not naturally skilled at this. You yeah. know, my natural instinct is to jump to like, well, why didn't you schedule this the way you <laughs> yeah. should have, you know, or something snarky. Like, I'm kind of a snarky person uh, on my own. And so if there is a way to handle a situation poorly or to say the wrong thing, <laughs> I have done it in ways that you probably cannot even fathom. And that's where my interest comes from in this part of it, because uh, I have to practice, right? Like, I can't go into some of these tough situations or tough discussions without a plan in place. If I don't have one, I will blow it up. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> for scheduling, you know, I think that's one of the ones that can be the toughest because mm. I think especially right now in our industry, we're in this in-between where we still have a lot of team members, myself included, to date myself, who grew up in the come right down era of, you know, everybody yeah. come in whenever they want to come in. And that just doesn't work for our practices as well as it used to. And so how do we transition that gut instinct of we want to help and the gut instinct of I can't freaking see any more appointments or fit any more in today <laughs> into a middle ground, you know? And yeah. I find it helpful when you've got a situation like this where the client wants something and they have this sense of urgency for whatever reason, real or otherwise, to remember that we all do this in our lives all the time, mm -hmm. right? Maybe not for the vet because we're intimately aware of it, but... How many times have you forgotten to get an oil change? Like my own car is way overdue for an oil change. Same. And I, Same. I was just really thinking need about one. that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just not high on my list of stuff to get done. But the minute there's a problem, it will be very high on my list. And it's not yeah. the mechanic's fault, but I really am going to need help at that point. So just coming from a place of, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt. Remember, we all do this in different aspects of our lives and try to play good cop. You know, you're not here to like lay down the law with this client. They're aware that this is a problem, that they've probably messed up in some way, you know, play good cop, try to come up with some ways that you can say yes to them, have some easy yeses up your sleeve. And this is kind of something that your leadership practice leadership has to have in place already. You know, if you don't have anything on the books that is going to work for that client, you don't want to just say, no, we can't help you. Cause A, that feels cruddy to say, 
and B, that's not what that client wants to hear, and C, that's not the best business model either. And so figuring out a way that you can say yes in some form. And for your practice, that might be that you've got some number of same-day appointments available, that you've got a certain number of day admit or drop-off appointments that you can squeeze in, or that you've got a telemedicine option, something to at least like get them part way so that they can be set up and feel like the ball is rolling. If there really isn't absolutely anything you can do, just having some other way you can say yes. And maybe that's, you know, the other practices in town and you know, one that's hurting for appointments right now and could fit in an emergency vaccine appointment, you know, and we all like cringe at that idea a little bit. But if there's any way that you can help that client, it's ultimately going to be better for you. And it's going to feel a lot better on the phone, too. And I think that, you know, it applies to kind of anything urgent. There's plenty of stuff where you could have, you know, diarrhea and the day's fully booked and the dog's otherwise fine. It's not vomiting. It's probably not obstructed. You've already triaged the scary stuff. But like if you have a German Shepherd having diarrhea in your house, that's an emergency. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I feel anxious just thinking about that. <laughs> right. Like that dog's probably not going to die, you know, but yeah. your rug will. And that's yeah. very real. <laughs> so yeah. is there anything that as a team you can come up with for those common emergencies that are maybe more urgent to the client than to the true life or death of the pet and have some band-aids in place? You know, is there an over-the-counter diet or, you know, um, probiotic that you can dispense? Can you have them drop off a stool sample and get in two days later while they start the probiotic? You know, things that we know are going to help, aren't going to hurt, aren't going to interfere with diagnostics. Same with ear infections, right? I feel like that's the other classic one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know the how bad those ear infection. Yeah. Yeah. And it stinks, but it also like literally stinks for the dog and the yeah. client. <laughs> but can you send home a safe ear cleanser, you know, for them to use and a quick two-minute counseling session from a technician on how to do that safely and what to watch for, you know? Yeah. And at least I get some of the debris out, keeps the pet a little more comfortable, give them an e-collar, you know, figuring out some ways that you can say yes, even when you're saying, no, we're not going to fit you in today. And that's going to immediately help the client understand that you're on their team. It's going to feel a lot better for your team and it's going to help start that ball rolling forward. Yeah, those are all such good points, like framing it in a positive way. Like, yes, we'd love to get you in. Um, unfortunately, we can't do it until after you're back from vacation. But um, here are some things that we could do in the meantime, if you're if, if these if any of these sound acceptable to you. And like also just the idea of the person not like wanting to teach you a lesson for waiting, because I do feel like sometimes we all have that instinct to like teach this person a lesson. Like, well, if we neg them this time, the next time they're not going to wait this long. But you know what? As somebody whose car is always overdue for an oil change, they are going to wait. Like that is a, that is a personality trait. That is not like they are doing this to make your day bad. And so I do, I totally agree. Like just having somebody like my dermatologist on the phone being like, yeah, we can call in a, a month of refill because you're, you're two months late scheduling your appointment. Like that's, it means the world because you're like, okay, they understand like life, life is hard. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, I guess two things I would say. One, my pet peeve when it comes to this stuff is never, ever, 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 please on the phone say, I'll check with the doctor or oh. I'll ch check with the veterinarian. Because when you do that, you set up everybody for disappointment just across yeah. the board. It's unfair pressure on your veterinarian. You now, are they going to be the one who overrides 
your practices, SOPs. The client now is dependent on, is this veterinarian being nice or being mean? And then over time, that can create a lot of tension within the team also. If you've got one person who's always saying yes and one person who's always saying no, and they might all have really wonderful, positive motivations behind those choices. But we don't want this to be something that we're putting on a specific team member because that just sets everyone up for potential disappointment. And instead saying, you know, let me see what we can do or let me check with the clinical team. You know, give yeah. me a few minutes to see what options we can figure out. And, yeah, you know, there's you can probably brainstorm with your team. What are the 10 things that happen most often? Right. Is it? For your practice, it's emergency ear stuff. Is it they're overdue for their annual exams? So you legally can't prescribe anything, but maybe you could make an over-the-counter recommendation for a week, you know? Yeah. Figure out what are those common things that come up, and then how as a team do you want to approach it in a way that you're getting to say yes to the client in some way? And, and then everyone can be on board with that, and it just takes all of the stress out of that phone call. Doesn't mean clients won't still be upset. Of course they're upset. It's frustrating. But at yeah. least you're... You're being productive in the moment. They were probably upset when they called because they know yeah. that they they played a role in this scenario and it's frustrating. And like yeah. we all know how we act when we're frustrated at ourselves. Um, but I, I really like that sort of look for ways to say yes, um, which I feel like is going to be a theme today. So, <laughs> okay. Always. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's expand that a little bit. So say it's not necessarily that um, you don't have appointments available, but it's that the client doesn't want to come in for the appointment or otherwise adhere to what is clinic protocol. So like you said, they are overdue for their annual exam. And so you can't prescribe something, even if it's something they've had a million times before, like heartworm prevention, or um, they are on chronic medication and they're overdue for blood work. And at a certain point, you can't refill that medication anymore until they come in, have their labs tested, because it's a safety issue for the pet. So um, those are always tricky because there's always a reason. Um, and sometimes it's valid and sometimes not. So what do you recommend in those scenarios? Uh, yeah, you got to, in those moments, you've got to remember that veterinary medicine is medicine, but it is predominantly a service industry mm. more than a medical industry. Yeah. And I would argue we don't want to be a purely medical industry. Because just think about the hassles of human medicine and the industry that that has become and all of the frustration that we individually, our clients, our families feel about interacting with that system. That mm -hmm. is not how we want our clients to feel when they interact with us. And the doctors, us. too. Yeah. And the doctors, yeah. No one's having fun. Yeah, <laughs> no one's no. <laughs> enjoying the way that is working out, right? So we don't want to put ourselves into that situation. And so I think when you're dealing with a moment like this, as much as we're trained and legally we think about it in we are a medical industry manner, try to channel a service industry attitude. And for this, I always think about airports. When there's mm. a protocol or a policy that we can't, you know, go around, think about if you are a passenger at an airport and there's a problem and how you're interacting with that representative. And just how easy it is to like fly off the handle and want to go berserk and that the thing that would make you do that the fastest would be if they say it's such and such airlines policy that you may not sit next to your child or your husband and your dog must fly on the wing of the plane you know <laughs> if they did that you would freak out because like, yeah. i don't give a hoot i'm not here to help you and your policies 
I'm here to get myself on this plane to this place because I paid you a gajillion dollars to get me there. And I woke up at 4 a.m. and I drove my screaming toddler with our packed bags. And now you're telling me this is a problem? You know, just think like that's a lot. But yeah, think about that when you're talking to these clients. So do not reference hospital protocols. <laughs> that will not get you anywhere good. It's like telling an angry person to calm down. It will just yeah. make things worse. Yes, fuels the fire. <laughs> yeah, fuels the fire for sure. And then think about what the client wants. What is their outcome that they're trying to achieve and play into that? How, because the reason we have SOPs, policies, protocols, rules in place is because it's what makes us do the best job for the pet. These aren't just completely Hopefully. random. Yeah, like these aren't like just, I mean, I love rules. I love protocols. I love policies. So I like to make lots of them, but that they should all be serving the purpose of better pet care, right? Yes. So if you've got a client who hasn't been seen in six months and for your practice, you have to see them every six months for chronic medication. Explain why, you know, say you know, I'm really worried about fluffy. These regular checkups are really an important part of us figuring out if the condition has progressed and making sure this medication is not going to do any harm. You're working so hard at home giving these medications. We want to make sure that all your hard work is paying off. Here's what we can do. You know, praise them for what they're doing. Because remember, a lot of pets never come to the vet, right? Right. A lot of pets never follow up. A lot of pets run out of that chronic medication and you see the owner four years later. So yeah. if they're like a week overdue for their yeah. recheck exam, they're in the top 10% of clients already. And yeah. let's treat them like they are, you know, and let's try to help them stay in that top 10% by praising what they're doing and supporting their efforts. And maybe that's a two week courtesy supply of medication. You know, again, these are things that you can already have set up as a team. And there's always going to come a point where you just have to say no. That's going to happen yeah. and it's going to suck. And you can say this sucks. You know, you can say that to the client. Like, I really wish we could. I really want to. We're just really worried. We've seen this go south so many times. Let me try to get you in as fast as we can so that this blip is as short as it can be. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the fact that it's a hard situation. And sometimes you can even ask the client specifically, what's a hurdle that they're facing and coming in? Because maybe it's money. Maybe it's that they have a personal crisis they're dealing with and they really do want to come in. They just cannot. And it's the last bit of energy they have to even call you for a refill or something. You know, you have no idea what their hurdle is. And once you know what it is, you can probably come up with a solution pretty quickly. Because, again, most of the people who work in vet medicine are super smart, fantastic problem solvers. And that's not going to be yeah. the hard part. So get more information lean into what the client wants, lean into what they're trying to achieve, and try to remember that you're all on the same team with a really, you know, high level type of client to begin with. That's a, those are, that's all great advice. Um, I, I really, in particular, <clears throat> I'm thinking about what you said about how clients, most pets don't go to the vet and they particularly don't get their chronic medications refilled on time if they do go to the vet. I mean, that is a lift for your own medications. You know, a lot of people are really rubbish at taking care of themselves when it comes to going to the doctor and seeing And so a pet that doesn't complain, like you kind of can't blame people for forgetting that this is something that they needed to do. Um, or, and then maybe ending up in a spot where they don't want to spend 150, 200, 250 bucks, like at the drop of a hat because they, they weren't planning for it. Maybe they should have been, maybe not, but 
there are probably a lot of scenarios where if we know cost is the issue, we could help them plan or by letting them know what to expect, or we could cut back on what we do have to do. Um, and I really, I think we get real judgy sometimes when say the dog is on steroids or the cat is on steroids and, you know, we're like, well, she could die. <laughs> you know, that's probably not like, that's not probably overcoming the right hurdle, I would think in most cases. <laughs> no. And I think a lot of the time that comes out of our own judgment of ourselves, you know, yeah. it's our own fear that we're going to harm a pet by doing the wrong thing. And that yeah. we don't want to give a depot injection because we don't want to start diabetes in a cat yeah. or worse than a heart issue, you know, that a lot of times it comes from a genuine place of self fear and self judgment that we're comparing so ourselves true. to those vet school notes. And this is what yeah. the notes say we have to do. And sometimes it's, it's truly dangerous or it could, you know, be a really serious problem if we don't follow through on a, a treatment plan. Um, but a lot of times there is a little wiggle room if we're willing to have an open discussion with the client and, yeah. And I encourage all of us just to remember that. Like, are we judging because we're worried about our own success? Are we judging because we're frustrated because as a client, we've had this conversation with every six months for six years, right? That's right. real life in practice. Yep. We all have those, <laughs> those moments. Uh, often, if that's the case, it's because there is some hurdle there that we're not adequately recognizing and addressing. And if we can do that, sometimes we can prevent ever having this discussion again, or at least keep it down to every two years, right? Yeah. Which would be a yes. win. <laughs> you know, if you don't have to do it as frequently, that, that's great. Um, you know, it makes me got a client yesterday who, lovely man, has lovely dogs. They're so happy. They don't come to the vet very often. And it's financially just a burden for, for him and his family. Um, but he has very happy dogs and he wants the world for them. And he'd been fairly frustrated because he was told that a couple of vaccines were absolutely required and some blood work was absolutely required before we could go ahead. And, and all those things are true. Um, but it was just not something that he could do in that moment. And, you know, we hear a lot about spectrum of care right now, mm -hmm. but we're all practicing it, right? It's that client who yeah. can't afford the $700 lab panel. And like, that's a lot of money. It is. Yeah. So remembering that, there is a spectrum and the spectrum often just means us coming up with options for our clients. Um, and, and I don't want to say breaking the law or breaking rules, but, um, figuring out where can we be flexible to help meet them where they are. Yeah. It's not like a pop-up timer is going to go off on Tuesday. If the cat doesn't have blood work, <laughs> like <laughs> if that pop-up timer yeah. is going to go off and that cat was already in trouble, whether or not it came in for a recheck. So, um, yeah, all good, all really good points. And, you know, one of the biggest hurdles probably for many people, like my biggest hurdle is time. If I could have somebody come to my house and run diagnostics and do an oil change on my car in my driveway, I would pay twice as much. Like there, I would absolutely do that because going to the thing and like it's just, I just don't want to do that. And so I was incensed when I found out I could not renew my car registration online because they don't have the right insurance information. I was like absolutely beside myself because now I have to go to the motor vehicle thing. So for me, it's time. For a lot of people though, it's money. And as soon as money enters the conversation, things get tense. So, and I think a lot of us have this like visceral reaction when we have to talk about money and that we go in sort of on the defensive and the client might be on the defensive because they're afraid it's going to be a lot and they're already worried. 
what is the best way if you're going in to present an estimate, like, or as we had to say at one hospital, treatment plan to a client? And what is the best way to do that and sort of have it go smoothly, as smoothly as possible? So I think if you're going in to discuss a treatment plan, which is what I call estimates, uh, after mm-hmm. working in some practices where that was our policy, yep. I tend to now say, I'm going to put together a treatment plan and the associated costs because yeah. of recurrent confusion with yes. the treatment plan discussion. Yes. So I, I now say a treatment really plan yeah, and the associated costs. Also to, to highlight that this isn't just a list of money items. This is a plan yeah. that I'm putting together that is for their pet. And there are really four different things that you can highlight when you're presenting that. First of all is that you are making recommendations based on your experience. So this isn't something that's been ripped out of a textbook. This isn't what every single dog who gets diarrhea gets recommended. This is based on your experience working with dogs like the one in front of you or the you know pet in front of you, what you would recommend. And that you want to, number two, do it based on what you know about the client and the pet in front of you. So this is an individualized plan that you're creating from scratch for them based on what they're dealing with and the limitations that they've expressed to you or the circumstances that they've expressed to you. Number three, that you are gonna balance the cost and the quality of the care that you're providing. So saying something like, I wanna put together a treatment plan and the associated costs for what in my experience has worked well for situations like this and what we're seeing going on with Fluffy and what you've told me about, you know, what's happening at home. I want to try and figure out what's the best bang for our buck or whatever phrase is going to feel natural to you, right? What's going to be the best way to use our resources to get a good outcome? And then say, and after I get that together, let's talk about it so I can answer any questions you have. So that this person knows that this isn't a pre-canned thing, even if it's a pre-canned yeah. thing, right? We all we right. all edit our pre-canned estimates. It's true for our situations. Yeah. That they know that you've listened to them and you care about their pet and that you're taking into account the experience that you have in dealing with these and that you're very much open to them discussing with you both the plan and the costs of it so that they don't feel like it's this or nothing and that you're already opening that door to them and that you're not stressed about it even if you're stressed about it. It's like cats. You got to fake it till you make it in this situation, right? If a cat knows you're afraid, you're doomed from the start. But if you go in (laughs) acting open and calm and relaxed, then you'll come across as calm and relaxed and there's a good chance you'll succeed, right? So take that deep breath before you start that. And this is something where I have to practice the spiel myself, you know, and from time to time I change the spiel um, and I update it based on, you know, what we're hearing and what research is out there about discussing things. And you just got to say it over and over and over again, you know, have a couple of sentences that you use that get those points across that feel natural for you um, and that you can develop muscle memory with so that when you are faced with that moment of, oh my God, it's $4,000, here I go, (laughs) they're going to freak out. You can do it in a way that doesn't come across like that. (laughs) It comes across confident and calm and open. Yes. So important. And also, like, I want to give a shout out here to our podcast sponsor, Care Credit, because um, this is an excellent time to have resources in the back of your mind in case people are like, I don't have $4,000. Um, because I just did a, dent- I did a major dental on my cat last fall, and I don't work in a clinic right now. So I went to an amazing referral practice because he needed a bazillion teeth out. And um, the estimate they gave me was $4,000 because 
he I wanted the cone CT and the remote anesthesiologist like monitoring him, you know, from two towns away or whatever. I wanted those things. He's a senior cat. He deserves it. But um, I didn't have four thousand dollars like in my pocket. And um, so having options like care credit, um, super helpful. Uh, so be ready with that information if that's something that you offer. Absolutely. And before going over any treatment plans, any estimates, whatever you call them, any person who's doing that on your team needs to be well-versed in the payment yeah. options that your practice offers and supports and encourages. And I know personally as a veterinarian and as a relief vet, I don't always know that, you know, or I don't mm -hmm. know the ins and outs of a particular um, product that they have available at that practice. Yeah. And I do feel handicapped in those conversations. Yeah. I think it's much more powerful and much more helpful for clients if you can be prepared with that. And yeah. just throw that out there at the beginning of the conversation. Say, you know, before you present it, you say, we're going to go over all of this. We've got a couple of different treatment plans we can walk through, or sorry, treatment plans, a couple of different payment plans or, or payment options that we can walk through yeah. as we're figuring out how to proceed. And then at the end, yeah. say, okay, do you have any questions about, you know, what's been recommended or the costs associated or with payment options? I'm happy to answer questions and go through different resources with you. You know, imagine yeah. if you were anywhere and someone said that to you, even if you had the cash in your pocket, you would just feel so much lighter knowing that this person in front of you is realistic, yes. <laughs> open, and that in the future, even if right now you can afford everything on that, maybe in a year, you know, that something way worse happens, you know, yeah. or something bigger is going on, or you're worried your pet is way sicker than is happening today. And if you already know that the clinic you're at is open to those conversations and having them, that's going to relieve an enormous amount of pressure the next time that client schedules an appointment. So remembering that even for the clients who might in that moment not need those other options, having them available and being open and happy to discuss them can really help that person be a continued client of yours. Maybe it helps them refer somebody else who they know wants the best for their pet, but doesn't have that money in the bank right now. And you know, you may or may not accept different payment options at your practice. And that's a discussion you as a team have to have. But I would really encourage you to open that discussion whenever you're presenting a treatment plan, especially if it's a client you don't know super, super well, you know, who doesn't yeah. already know this about you as a practice. Yeah. And to make sure anybody going over treatment plans and estimates is really familiar with those so that it can feel like a very natural thing to discuss. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. To help patients get the care they need, the Care Credit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital, as long as they accept the Care Credit credit card. Yeah, I'm trying to picture what would have happened if I'd gotten that estimate presented and I didn't know about things like Care Credit. And um, at the end, I was like, well, I, I can't afford that. And then the technician was like, well, I think we offer some kind of payment options, but I'm not 100% sure. Or if I was like, do you, is there any way I could get a payment plan? Or like, do you guys offer that? And the technician was like, um, I think so, 
not really sure how that works, so let me get back to you on that. Even though the outcome would have been the same, it would have made me feel like a weirdo for asking <laughs> and yeah. offering it at the beginning, like you said, and just having it be a very natural part of presenting the treatment plan, not waiting for the client to ask for it, but presenting it at the beginning and saying, we do have options to talk about if that's something you'd be interested in. Um, not even something you need, but something you'd be interested in. Um, makes it just sound like a totally normal thing that people do, because it is. Um, but not knowing makes you feel like you're the only one that's ever asked for it. And that's not a great feeling. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think, too, that brings up a good point about, you know, who is talking through yeah. treatment plans and estimates with our clients. Yes. And I don't think it necessarily matters who the person is, but I do think it matters that to the client, it feels like a seamless transition of communication and yeah. trust and understanding. So and true. so... I don't love it when you have a different person coming in and out of the room constantly throughout an appointment and the client has a different person and a different person and a different person, right? Yeah. And that's what happens in human medicine. And that's yeah. part of what can feel so jarring about a medical appointment sometimes is that you interact with six different people and yeah. you feel like, does this person actually know what's going on? And they probably do, right? They probably have fantastic yeah. systems in place and are way on top of it and they are 100% the right person to do this next part of your appointment. But it doesn't always feel emotionally as safe. And so I think even if, and like when I'm doing relief work, if I'm not the person who's going to go over an estimate, most of the time, because I need help making one, because I have no idea what software I'm working with, <laughs> I need to step yeah. out to do it, to be honest. You know, I'll say, I'm going to go put together a treatment plan, you know, blah, 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 that whole spiel. Our tech wonderful technician is going to come in and go over that with you and if you have any questions, you know, she can talk to you about our different payment options and, you know, how we can prioritize within this. And I'm going to be available, you know, if we need to discuss this more, don't hesitate to ask. So I can just literally transfer, hopefully, you know, some of that trust to another yeah. team member. And maybe that person is the person who understands everything. Maybe it's, I'm going to have Susie, our payment expert, come in to talk to you, you know, yeah. but going ahead and verbally transferring that trust and that communication line to somebody else and making sure that person in front of you knows that you're still available, that this line of communication isn't going anywhere. Yes. Um, that you're not just like out of my hands. Yeah. I recommended what I recommended. And if you don't want yep. it, get out of here, you know, yeah. I'm done with you. Uh, th because that's not true for any of us, you know, it's, um, yeah. I mean, how much do you love it when someone comes out and they're like, they're going to do it all. Yeah, you know, every day yeah, we have that, right? Yeah. You're like, really? That's amazing. It kind of makes, makes you want to cry. Like when somebody is like, oh, I thought it was going to be so much more. You want to be like, oh, my God, I love you. Can you just come every day? Oh, like, gosh, can you that give is... seminars? <laughs> I always want to give that person like a literal sticker. Just like, I'm Yes. Yeah. We used to but have a sticker at one, cl one clinic that I worked at. It was a peach colored dot. And so if the client was like super nice about everything and like, took recommendations and was really compliant and like a great pet owner, then we put a peach sticker because they were a peach oh, in the chart. I love Back that. Back in the days of That's, paper charts. I love that <laughs> so much. Yeah. And, you know, not to like be a Debbie Downer about that, but then also how much does that hurt your heart a little bit and make yeah. you think sometimes like, oh man, maybe you would have come in last week before yeah. you got that paycheck or something if you hadn't known that it was going to be $8,000, <laughs> you yeah. know, for me yeah. to, to do this thing. And I don't know, I just, I, none of us like that money is a big part of veterinary medicine, but also all of us love paying our bills. 
So, yes. you know, it, it is a part of it and it's an important part of it. But mm -hmm. we can bring the same empathy and understanding that we have about all the other parts of veterinary medicine to the financial aspects of it, too, yeah. without turning clients away from our practices. And payment options, whatever they might be, can be a big part of that if that works for your business model. And so I just, you know, a plug for all of the, the payment options out there. And that includes insurance. It includes, yes, you know, such insurance a huge too. range of things now that yeah. we can help our clients just have a better understanding of. Yeah, 100%. Okay, let's talk about ethics because um, I think, you know, this is always a really, really hard one and it's so hard not to judge um, on both sides, I think. So let's say a client wants you to do something that you're not comfortable doing. And this could be something that your practice offers, but you personally don't feel comfortable doing. Like for instance, if you don't perform D clause, but you work at a practice that does, or a client wants you to do something that your practice absolutely like is not on board with. No, your practice doesn't allow D clause period, or, um, you know, something equivalent that really kind of tests to you as an ethical issue and to the client is like, I don't understand why you're saying no to me. What about yeah, that? this one's hard. And I think this, like anything else exists on a huge sliding scale of severity, right? Yeah. There are those one-off crazy moments where you're in an exam room and you realize something is going down that you are not okay with and you just have to draw a line. Mm -hmm. And We've all had those, and unfortunately, I think sometimes those are the cases, the moments that stick with us the most because they're emotionally very traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I will preface everything I'm going to say by saying I am not a psychologist. I am not an expert in yeah. conflict de-escalation. <laughs> I am not an ethics es expert. Um, yeah. This is all advice that comes straight out of what has worked for me. And for those of you who don't know me personally, um, I am a fairly opinionated human. <laughs> this is one of the be... reasons we understand each other, get along. <laughs> so it might like... be coming across here. Uh, the but D not... on the disc <laughs> yeah, assessment I'm... is high in this room. <laughs> yeah, I'm not often very shy about sharing my opinion for better and for worse. And as I get older and hopefully wiser, I'm getting better at doing that. But uh, so any advice here is, is not because I'm an expert in this. It's just for my own experience. But those really emotionally traumatic cases where there's something awful happening or, or you feel it's awful. It doesn't necessarily mean it is awful to everyone. Convenience, euthanasia, stuff like that. Yeah. And everyone's going to have wildly different feelings about this based on their own personal experience, their own personal yeah. values. And sometimes in that moment, if you if you know that doing something is going to be awful for you or something that you cannot wrap your head around the reason that it is acceptable, I would encourage you not to do it. You know, um, as much as there are a lot of animals in need out there that might need things that are subpar or, you know, but you know, that aren't, that's not the ideal way to do something. There are some cases where it really is just going to rub you in a way that's going to stay with you for a long time and cause you emotional damage. And I, I don't think that's the road to longevity in this field. And so for those one-off moments, I think drawing a line and just saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. Because it's it's also hard to argue against that, right? It's yeah. hard for someone to be like, but I want you to be. But, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, tough. <laughs> That's how my yeah. brain is working. So yeah. you can just say, I'm not comfortable with that. Here's what I would be comfortable doing or here's what we could do. And maybe it's that you have a, a colleague who is more comfortable in that realm and has a better understanding of options and 
has some more experience with it and could step in, you know, or maybe, you know, another practice who could provide a type of service that is a better fit for them, you know, for declawing, maybe it's clear this person's going to do it no matter what, but you know, a practice that counsels about cat stuff specifically and has laser surgery. And if it has to go down that road, can do the most humane version of it possible, you know, maybe that's who you, you recommend, you know, that there are ways that you can say no while still being empathetic to the person in front of you. Every once in a while, things just blow up and it goes south and that's real life, right? And I think that's kind of one extreme end of the spectrum, just those awful moments. I would encourage anybody who's had one of those awful moments to immediately discuss it with your team leads, your management, your practice ownership, you know, whoever is immediately available to you and give them a heads up, especially if it didn't end well, because the last way you want the rest of the team to find out about it is because a one-star review or something goes up, you know, whereas if you can kind of head it off and say, hey, this thing happened, we've all had consults that didn't go well, interactions that ended poorly or at a standoff or whatever, um, or you just said no and you know the client's upset, and you maybe didn't give them a good alternative. You just said no, sent them on their way. Yep. We've all done yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, some day, situations right? there may not be a great alternative, or they may not give you a chance yeah. to tell them what it is. Yeah, and that's happened, yeah. and sometimes you just you got to stick with it, and then you got to seek somebody out on, on leadership and let them know what happened, and then you can talk through with them. You know, is there a different way we could have handled this? Are there other resources available I'm not aware of? Let me know how we can follow up on this, you yeah. know? I think if you can have that open conversation, you take a lot of the stress out of it for the rest of your team and you can come up with a plan for the future. And for kind of the next step down are going to be, sometimes we work at a practice where there's a little bit of a mismatch, you know, there's something Mm -hmm. like, I think declawing is a good example. If you work at a practice that does declawing and you personally are not comfortable with that, have a discussion with your team about it and say, here's a line for me. You know, this is a line that I am not willing to cross. Um, but I want to work at this practice. Maybe it's a phenomenal practice. There's just a couple of things that aren't what you're going to do and discuss and say, so what's the plan when this happens? How do we handle it? You know, do I refer them to the other veterinarian? Are you comfortable with me just saying no? I worked at one practice where one of the veterinarians had a set of clients she would not see just over time, um, which happens at any practice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we'd have an open discussion with those clients and say, Hey, it sounds like this relationship is breaking down, is not going where you want it to go. And when any one of us would have that with a client, we would discuss it. And the manager would say, here's your option. You know, if you want to find a different practice, we get it. Otherwise, we would love to keep seeing you with one of our other veterinarians. And for that particular practice, that worked. You know, is that going to be how every practice operates? No. But having a discussion is going to be the way that you can kind of figure that out. And then I think the, the final sort of best and worst part of that spectrum is when you have a situation where you're coming up into those situations over and over again. And that might be that it's something to do with HR or that it's something to do with the type of medicine being practiced or um, the type of prices being charged, that you're consistently finding yourself ethically at odds with what you're being asked to do. And I think you should still have a discussion about that. I encourage everyone to be as open as they can with their management about what's going on. But sometimes you might need to sit down and say, okay, what are my values? What are the values being exhibited by this practice? And do they match each other? And if the answer is no, be that that you think things 
costs too much. And so you're constantly trying to figure out ways to discount what you're doing, right? Or to, oh, I accidentally didn't charge for that, whatever it might be. Or that you are consistently declining to do types of appointments that are routinely coming in or see specific clients. Or you're uncomfortable with how something's being handled behind the scenes with a team member. You know, if you're at the point where you're consistently feeling that tension, that cognitive dissonance, I think that's when it's time to consider leaving. You know, and we're not always in a situation where we can, and there are a lot of people out there who are experts at at how to handle those conflicts and those situations um, that you guys can avail yourselves up. I'm I'm not one of them. Um, But that's where I've found when I've had to move on from my practice sometimes, it's Mm -hmm. because it's not fair to that practice to stay if you're gonna be consistently, repeatedly not comfortable or not able to follow through on how they want things done because it conflicts with your values. You know, and, yeah. and there's so many. It's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to anyone. You're going to be miserable. The practice is going to be frustrated. Clients are going to be confused because they're getting a wide variety of different options or, or things from different people. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just not a good situation to put yourself in and, and to stay in. And while, yes, maybe you think the practice should change, it might be that you need to change to a new practice. And, you know, that goes on both ends of the spectrum. I think we always jump to thinking about, like, oh, they're really old school or they're doing things we shouldn't do with cats all the time or, you know, this isn't fear free the way that I want to be. You know, we can think about it that way, but it goes the other way too. Like maybe in your heart of hearts, you are a shelter medicine rescue veterinarian who wants to be doing, you know, high volume, lower cost care and helping as many cats as you possibly can all day long. I don't know why I keep saying cats. I've seen a lot of awesome cats this week, I guess. <laughs> really yeah, into cats. It's at good. The cats get the sh- cats always get ignored, so we can talk about cats. Yeah, we'll go all cats today. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and if that's the case and you're at that practice that charges six hundred thirty dollars for that lab panel and you feel awful doing that over and over and over again, and so you're trying to discount or you're trying to figure out ways around it, that's just as damaging to both mm-hmm. parties. You know? So yeah. I, I think being honest about that and and being willing to acknowledge that you have a different set of values and move forward with finding a place that matches that is is good. It's good for everyone. Everybody wins, honestly, in that situation. Yes. And I'm noticing that what you're not saying is that everybody should think the same things about ethical and moral situations. It's like, it's the mismatch that's the issue, not oftentimes not the actual situation but the mismatch of the context around the situation um, and the various individuals involved because I think there are people like for every quote-unquote convenience euthanasia you know there's a team member that's going to feel really conflicted about it or absolutely like they think it's the wrong decision and there's probably going to be a veterinary professional somewhere else if not at that practice who thinks this is the right thing to do for that pet and that family Um, a lot of situations are so many shades of gray and we all see them differently so um, this one is one where you really have to follow a moral compass I think your own moral compass and do what's right for you even if that doesn't always feel good in the moment Um, you'll sleep better at night, but it is hard to listen to that voice sometimes um, when the team is trying to, is telling you that what they think you should do, or you feel like they're going to judge you if you make a decision. I've been in that situation a lot, Um, but you're the one who has to live with it. So yeah, yeah, that's all really good advice. I think if you find yourself in those moments where you're feeling that emotional pressure and that emotional, um, 
ask and it's mm-hmm. really draining for you, taking the time to reflect on what are your values. You know, we talk about core values for vet practices, but mm-hmm. what are your personal core values or, or your values as a practitioner? And yeah. what are the things that you're not willing to compromise on? Because that's also a very productive way to have a discussion with your management and a productive way to job hunt, you know, <laughs> to, yeah. to get out there and look and see, you know, maybe all these things match up really well with a specific segment or, or niche within our, our profession. There's so many different ones. And, you know, I feel like I've rarely been in a situation where I've felt that distress. And when talking through it with whoever is on the other end of that, um, especially if it's a, a colleague or a team member, mm-hmm. hasn't led me to a place of better understanding, you know, yeah. or hasn't challenged my own thoughts about it and, and helped me have a more nuanced thought process going forward. Whether or not I, I go ahead and do something, um, that's always helped me have a better understanding of situations and, and a more rich experience to draw from the next time I have to make a choice. Um, so, true. so, yeah. Yeah. Being open to changing your mind about something is, um, it's really hard when you're all like activated, <laughs> you know, like you're like, I'm not doing that. It's really hard at that moment to change your mind or to consider another point of view. And maybe that isn't right. Maybe the, you know, maybe you are never going to do that in that situation, but you're never going to know, um, how other people see that if you don't like talk take the time to think about it and talk it over. Um, so I love that. And I also wanted to, to just mention one other thing, like we've been talking about so much communication, so much like transparency and openness and like empathy, but also people sue and people take you to the board. So write all of this down. <laughs> like, don't forget to document all of these conversations in the medical record. Like if you're a support yes. team member and you're with a veterinarian having this conversation and you're taking notes, write it all down. They could go back and change it, you know, like um, to adjust for how they would want it reported. But it's got to be in there or it never happened in the eyes of the law. Yeah. And... <laughs> I think um, anybody who's already listening to this podcast is probably well aware of this, uh, but in the moment, it can also be very hard. Make sure it is a dispassionate write-up of yes. <laughs> factual events. Yes, with, excellent point. Uh, Yeah, you know, what was offered, what was declined, what was discussed, and moving forward. You know, it doesn't yeah. need to be a, a six-page essay on um, every emotion that developed in the moment. And, and you know, I say all that, I... Thinking about this, I think of one very specific consult I had that ended with the owner literally storming out, cursing at the team, and me sitting on the floor sobbing my eyes out in a consult room and a pet still in pain and completely untreated. Like, blew it, big time. Nobody got helped. Everyone was unhappy. Um, I felt horrific, and I had a phenomenal team that bought me a nice coffee and sent me away for 30 minutes to just sit outside and have a moment to myself before we discussed anything or figured out what to do and, and had my back. But, you know, no matter how many, and that was not that long ago, you know, no matter how many years you've been doing this, things will come up. We're all people who care a lot and, and it's important to respect that and, and figure out how to work through that and work, move forward with that. You know? Yes. Um, having grace for yourself, for your team, um, like that's amazing that they're like, here's an iced coffee. Like, go take 30. Oh my gosh. That is worth 
any amount of money, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like um, that the understanding with your team that like we're all human, we're all going to have interactions that don't go well. Um, that makes a huge difference because a lot of my um, discomfort in situations like that, I think, stem from like, what is the team going to think? Or like, is my boss going to um, going to make a different decision and undercut me? And then I'm doing this like for nothing, you know, um, because we are all different in how we want to practice and protocols can only go so far. And we've all been in that situation as associate vets anyway, where we've said no to something and we're like, no, on principle, like I can't do this and then turn around and our boss did it like the next day. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily always wrong. It's not necessarily always a good choice. It's so individual, but like having grace with yourself to say that was the best I could do in that moment that was what yeah. that was what I thought was right, um, and even if yeah, it didn't I've, go well. I've been working with a vet lately, um, on and off, who I love because, you know, we all have crazy cases that happen sometimes where something goes off the rails or the pet has like that one in a gajillion reaction that you've never seen before in decades. We're always constantly learning, and I love seeing how she handles it when those moments come up because. Her, you know, she's always initially concerned, is the pet okay? Is the person okay? But then the final question is always, how do we keep this from happening in the future? You know, what is the productive outcome of this? If this was going to happen, let's make sure going forward, we're all better for it. And I've learned so much from her just seeing the grace with which she does that, you know, and transitions that thought process into a productive one that is about the future. And I think for me in dealing with clients, when I do have an ethical obstruction or hurdle between us, I found that the thing that's helped me move forward the most is when it really is just that one-off, it's me and this client, this is not an ongoing issue, this isn't a practice-wide issue, just getting down to what does that client want again? You know, just like when they want something that's against your policies or your protocols, this is your ethics, they're your personal protocols and policies, right? What does that client want? Because it's very rare that the client's going to say, I want my animal to suffer horribly and have a terrible life. Right. 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 It, there's probably generally a, not. Yeah. There's probably a really wonderful, positive kernel of motivation underlying what's going on. And it doesn't necessarily mean the outcome will be different, but it might give you an opening to make suggestions or move forward in some manner that you feel comfortable with that meets their need or their desire in an, a way that you're okay proceeding. So just always you know, we hear it more and more, but remembering to get curious instead of get mad, you know, find out more about what's going on and, and see if you can approach it from that direction. Love it. Sarah, where can people find you if they want to Ooh. get more information about the things you do or follow up on anything we talked about? Are there places they can find you online? Yes. So I have a website. Uh, it's very easy. www.drsarahwolf.com. Uh, so Good one. You can find me there. Yeah. I <laughs> got really original. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Great point. I did not realize this uh, when I took my husband's name. There's lots of ways to spell it. It's wolf, two Fs, no E. And then. <laughs> yes. And I'll put a link to, to that in the show notes. <laughs> <Thanks>. so. <laughs> and then on Instagram, I'm again, Dr. Sarah Wolf, all one word um, on Instagram. And I'm currently on sort of a summer hiatus from social media, but I'll be back soon as soon as my little one is in school and um, 
I'm not trying to get to the pool as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good reason. Uh, well, Dr. Sarah Wolf, thank you so much. Uh, this was really fantastic. I really loved hearing um, your take on these scenarios, and especially as somebody who's been out of the clinic for a little bit now. It's going on um, a year and a half. Uh, it's definitely, um, it's it just puts me right back in those rooms, and um, I can feel the anxiety, like, in sort of ramping up in my chest, thinking about some of these conversations and how much easier they are when you go in prepared to like take a breath, wait a beat, and then seek to understand, (laughs) as you say, get curious, seek to understand. So thank you so much. I know that's gonna be helpful for a lot of people out there. Thank you so much for having me. It's always awesome to talk to you, Katie. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. We'll drop uh, Sarah's information in the show notes today. So, um, and you can always get in touch with me if you have questions for her or follow up on anything we talked about today at podcast.aha.org. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.